Hit the lights. You've discovered the Half Watt Podcast. We want to educate and entertain by tapping into the most trusted source of new technology, the ones installing and innovating it. You, the tradespeople that build from the ground up. Join us as we talk with industry leaders, veteran contractors, and even some young blood. Welcome aboard. Welcome aboard. So today I'm going to lecture a little bit on something I think is critical and something that I want you to be aware of and you're, you, especially if you're in any business where you're installing systems and they're, and they're cutting edge and they begin to become not cutting edge 10, 15, 20 or 30 years down the road. So let's just take, for example, uh, fire alarm systems and because that's my, my, chosen field. If you install fire alarm systems today in 2023 and you think by 3033, right now I'm sorry, 2033 or 2053, those systems are still going to be in place, you're probably right. Some of those systems will still be in place. Will they be good? Will they do what you want them to do? Will they fit into the rest of technology at that time? No, not a, not at all. So when in a big network system, and I happen to operate one and, and maintain it, if all the components are upgraded on a regular basis, all the nodes, all that good stuff, then when you bring something, some new technology online, you can reasonably uh, be assured that it's going to work and be backwards compatible. If it's not maintained or thought up correctly and you put it all together and you add something new to it and it's not backwards compatible, now you got a problem. And of course in, in fire, that's a life safety issue. So there's something called uh, integration and, and there are people who are integrators. And it falls on the shoulders of both the person or the group or the company who owns the equipment to know, hey, you know, I, I need to upgrade this stuff. But the servicing company also needs to know about this equipment and what state it's in. And so you kind of have a at least a two, if not a three-way relationship. You've got the group who has the equipment installed, and if this is proprietary equipment, then it becomes even more difficult. But you've got the group who has it, that's the end user, and then a salesperson who is going to, you know, continue to make sure that that equipment goes in on a regular basis and that it's the newest and the latest and greatest. And then oftentimes there's an engineering group who also handles that and the players in the engineering group and the sales group and the and the people who own the equipment they may not play together well and if they don't play together well then you can have a pretty serious issue and i'm living through one of these issues right now and there's no finger pointing i can't say oh it's it's my company because we didn't go off and and 
and purchased millions of dollars worth of equipment every single time something new came out. I can't say it's a salesperson because the salesperson's in the job of selling equipment. So it, it behooves them to sell equipment. So I, I can't look at the person and go, hey, how come you didn't sell me this equipment? Well, that's bat squeeze. It's not necessarily the engineers or the engineering section or the integrator section. Uh, it's not necessarily their fault because if, if why are they going to spend time looking at your system and then pushing you to buy equipment from the salesperson when they have a plethora of other things on their plate to do. However, the intelligence there needs to be handled by somebody. And the most likely person or the most likely group to handle it is the end user or the, or the owner of the equipment and working with both the salesperson and the engineering group to say, hey, are we adequately changing out our equipment and keeping it up to date? If that falls to the side, and, and it can because, you, you know, you may not have the money for it. Uh, you may not you think you need it. It may not be something that is uh, uh, that you could tell your upper management or your or your financials, you know, the people in the financial world that this has to happen because otherwise we could run into a problem, what, 15 years from now after they're retired. So you kind of see what I'm drawing here. I'm drawing I'm drawing a, a situation that will occur. Anytime you have a system or a group of systems installed or a network of systems installed and you don't have what we used to call when I was a contractor, uh, a single throat to choke. And, and therein lies the problem. So a systems integrator, and as you remember, we interviewed Gary Youngberg on here and he does that. Uh, as an EST systems integrator, that's his job. His job is to be aware in a big account of what they have and what the technology that's coming down the pipeline is and will it work with the older stuff or will it not work with the older stuff? It's And, and since somebody like Gary is in the know, he knows exactly what to look for. He knows what the company offers. He knows what the new products are doing. He knows what the protocols they're using, all that good stuff. As an end user out in the field, they're not going to be privy to the, the new products coming out because why? I mean, if, if, if a widget A is coming out this year and the salesman has no need to sell us any of these widget A's, then how am I ever going to know if I need widget A or, if, or what widget A even does? I can't, okay? So this particular problem that I laid out here, at least in the fire alarm world, is a big issue. And, I'm, and as I said, I'm going through this right now. We, there are workarounds and, and, and issues and, and ways that we can solve it. Currently, the way we're having to solve it is that the, the senior technicians who have, you know, we have about 50 some odd years of combined experience or more doing this, we can figure out some workarounds and we can call back for technical help and you know they can identify some issues but it's it was such a it was such a brouhaha to experience 
that I thought, okay, I could bring this in as a lecture and sort of <clears throat> give people a, an idea of just how complicated this can be and just how frustrating it can be to everybody. It's not just frustrating to the end user of this product. It's not just frustrating to the salesperson who obviously wants to sell and make money. That's their job. I mean, they all have quotas and all that good stuff. And it's not, and I can't just, like I said, reach out to the integrator and say, hey, how come you didn't know what, that we were going to run into this problem? How come you didn't know my tire was going to go flat a mile down the road? You should have known that there were nails on the road. So you can see what, where this, this dilemma is, and you can see where I'm at in the dilemma. So there has to be a way for uh, the end user of this product to know, hey, this is what's coming down the line, and yes, your stuff can, can, can work with it, but we need to upgrade these things. And there needs to be some forethought put into budgets and, and strategy so that you can add the right equipment at the right time all the time to keep up with the modern appliances. That sounds so good to talk about, doesn't it? Sounds so good to hear in your ears right now. Yeah, man, we should do that. That everybody should do that. Well, that just doesn't happen. If you deal with a school district or you deal with with a, a, a government agency that just isn't floating in money. Everybody thinks that every, you know, these, these schools or these government groups are just a wash in cash. That's not the way it works. Budgets have to be thought of. You have to fight for every tool. You have to justify what you're doing. You, there, there has to be a reason for what you're doing. And if you don't know what those are and you don't have somebody who's in the game, how are you going to explain it? And the same thing goes with, with, with card access or with video systems. If you look at, a, at, a, at a, any, any school now or any hospital or any large building, there are access control everywhere. I guarantee you that the integrators doing access control are constantly looking at the next product line and wanting, and wanting to try to get that in to whatever building you have. But you could run into the same exact scenario. Oh, well, we didn't upgrade this building, and now we have all the wrong firmware in there, and we did a big remodel job, and we added all this new stuff, and none of it talks to this other equipment. Or maybe you changed vendors. Maybe you went with, with, with product B when you used to have product A, and now those two don't talk. Pretty soon, you get these hodgepodged kind of half-assed systems that may or may not work. <laughs> that leads to a term in the technician world we call workarounds. Oh, well, in order to get this to work, I put all the software in here and I dump it into this and I make all these things, you know, do all this work here. But on this particular system, we have to sort of do it this way and we have to add you know these things we have to do all this stuff you kind of see what I'm, I'm getting I'm kind of talking around the problem but <clears throat> the harder you make it the hard the more hoops you have to jump through the more technologically challenging something becomes you wind up having just a very few people who can retain 
all of the little steps that it takes to maintain these things. And if that person leaves, retires, dies, uh, you know, uh, gets hit by a moose, who the hell knows? There goes that information. And you can write it down. You can, you can create, you know, SOPs and, and, and procedures and all that stuff. You, there, there's, there's nothing wrong with that. You can produce all that stuff and leave it for the people behind you. But even that, if you haven't trained somebody on what it takes to do what you're doing, you're, you're lost. Then that puts the burden on whatever end user it is, whatever company or hospital or school or whatever it is. Now they have to jump through hoops to figure out the next steps. All of that costs money. All of it costs money. So you put in product A, it goes all over the campus, then the upgrade comes in, you start putting in product A, you know, X or something, something that's that's better than it was before, and it will back it will talk backwards to A, but along comes product B, and B doesn't really play with A very well. And then C comes along, and C goes into this building, but it doesn't really talk to A much at all. And and that's exactly what I'm talking about. You you get these systems that are spread out, that are tough to maintain, tough to work on, tough to find parts for. In my own world, uh, I am still, in some cases, taking flash proms. If you don't know what a flash prom is, it's a, a programmable chip and burning programs, or what we call burning a program, onto that chip and replacing those chips in some of the systems I work on. That is, that, you know, 1980-something called and they want their prom burner back. That's how old that technology is. And this is not the only piece of equipment that needs it. Now the new equipment, you just plug an ethernet cable in and dump the program, it just takes a couple of seconds. It's very fast. So you could see on one hand, boy, I would like this newer equipment everywhere, and the newer equipment has all this bells and whistles that the older equipment doesn't, um, but you know, here's your, Here's your drawbacks. It costs more money, and you know you you can you can just see it. It all takes time. It all takes an an effort and a concerted effort to make sure that you're covering all the bases. So let's stop where we're at. Look at what you do, and if you happen to be a technician in the field and you, or an electrician, or both, and you are working on, pick a product, I don't care what it is that you're working on, and you are a subject matter expert on that product, and I, and I mean that term literally, you are a subject matter expert on how this thing does what it does. If you're a field technician working for company ABC, it is your job as as a function of what you do to say, hey, this is this is a piece of antiquity here, okay? This needs to be seriously looked at and possibly replaced. Let the client know that. Make sure that you're putting it in your documentation. Hey, this panel is 20 years old. There's much better equipment out there. You know, most of the stuff in the field is compatible with it. We can just change out the head end. We can start that process. 
you go back to your company, there should be, I, I don't know of, a, I, don't, I don't think I know of any company I've ever worked for that didn't have some sort of, of sales leads process where I could put in some information and give that to a salesperson who then could follow it up and say, hey, you know, technician Mike was out here and he saw that your equipment is pull start and from the 30s and we should probably consider changing it out. But I have been in companies where you go through all that rigmarole to fill out the forms or provide the information, give it to a salesperson. They may or may not follow up on that. Or if they do and they get a big sale, there's no kickback to the technician. So let's just stop and look at that caveat. Should there be a kickback to the technician? Should the technician get money for helping sell the next generation of product? That's up between you and your and your salesperson or you and your company. I can't tell you that you should get one or you shouldn't get one. I will tell you as a technician and as a person who's worked on equipment now since he was, I don't know, 18, that I don't care whether I get a kickback or not. What I care about is making sure that whatever product I'm working on is functional and it's going to continue to be functional. That is the key. Yes, it would be fantastic to get money thrown my way. I have, I have plenty of stories about how that worked out for me and it didn't work out for me. I once had a, a company I worked for and a, uh, as I was fixing these uh, uh, photocopiers, this one client asked me, hey, uh, what would you, if you were, if you were going to buy a photocopier of this particular brand, what would you get? And I, I said, I would get this model and I would get this staple sorter. That's what I would get. Those are the best, at the time, the best duplicators and the best staple sorters they had. And she said, oh, thanks. I appreciate that. Turn around and went to another company and bought 10 of them for $200,000 is what the order was. I had no idea. I just gave the information and moved on about my business. So weeks later, I find out through the grapevine that this salesperson had pulled about $38,000 in commissions and obviously didn't offer any kickback. And I wasn't really offended because I don't expect most salespeople to care. So, you know, I just kind of blew it off for a little while. But then I thought, man, that's a lot of money. So the guy was rolling around in a brand new car and um, finally ran into me and says, hey, I really appreciate that lead, which I didn't even know I'd, I'd given him. And it turns out that the, that the lady who bought the copiers said, I really want the commissions to go to this technician. And well, you know, the company didn't do that. So that can't happen. So she just assumed that, well, you know, there'd be some sort of a payback. So the guy offered to take me out to lunch. And I looked at him, I said, he's driving a brand new Mitsubishi. And I'm driving a beater Datsun. And I just looked at him and said, look, um, I really appreciate that, you know, you could buy me a $20 lunch and everything will work out well in your head, but I'm not going to do that. I'm just going <laughs> to I'm just gonna stay in my beater car and go eat Taco Bell or something. I'm just not going to deal with this. Thanks a lot. Have a nice day. And I didn't really worry about it. And that happened more than once at, at, at the particular company I was working for. That's the way of it. But in all honesty, the information I'd given the lady was good information. It was exactly the right 
tool for the right job. And essentially, that's what she needed. And so, boy, would it have been nice to have money? Sure, it's always nice to have money. But is it, it the end result is that she had something that she needed, it gave her the information that she needed, it came to me for free, I mean, I earned it and I figured it out, gave it to her for free, that's it, right? Overall, the company made money, kept me employed, put bread on the table and, you know, fed fed the kids and all that. So, I mean, ultimately, it all comes back to keeping the doors open at whatever company you're working for. And it truly is probably the most important aspect of it. I'd love to say, gosh, you know, all that money would have been good and I could have, what, I don't know, painted my house. Who the hell knows what I could have done with some of that. But it kept the company moving. The company's still in business. It's huge. So it was just one stepping stone to get it to where it's at, which is this, this big behemoth. And that's what that was all about. So I'm not saying that every time you give your two cents worth to a client, you're going to get a check for that. But I am saying every time you give your two cents worth to a client and you're a technician, that information is golden. That information is golden. People who trust you and trust your judgment and ask you, hey, what kind of access control system would you put in? What kind of door locks would you put in? What kind of cameras would you put in? You tell them because of your experiences, that is platinum. Now, a good salesperson will pick up on that and use it to their advantage and use it to your advantage and use it to your company's advantage and not cheat anybody, but you could say, yeah, man, these, this guy was right. Those are the best cameras or whatever. Either way, it keeps the doors open and it keeps you gainfully employed and it helps the client out. Developing relationships with the client on every level, if you're the technician, if you're the salesperson, if you're an integrator, knowing and keeping that information hot, active, and uh, accurate is the name of the game. It's the name of the game. As these systems get uh, more and more advanced and they're, and they're you know, it's, it's more of a computer game now than it was before. A lot of the stuff that I'd worked on when I first got in the industry was wires, terminated here that carried data and you know there was a little bit of computer work but honestly the the programs were pretty simple and you could figure them out now I open up some of these programs and they are incredibly complex and so half of what I do in any given day is computer-based which means I need to know Windows I need to know the computers I need to know the programmer I need to know the capabilities of this equipment I need to know exactly all the ins and outs so information is paramount. Making sure that I have that data, that I have that information, that I have somebody I can talk to, that I have resources that can help me unpack this and knowing from my perspective, the technician that I'm dealing with as a contractor and knowing their skills and capabilities and them helping me move to the next level it is even it's double platinum if you can imagine that same thing is with you if you're a technician make sure that your client knows that you're willing to go above and beyond to help them if it ever comes to the point where hey we're going to add like four more buildings 
how should we do this? Oh, well, man, you, you know, this equipment here is ancient. You really need to upgrade it and not do the, the patch fix or the, you know, the half upgrade. You really should change this out to the new equipment so that it's all talking the same language or the same speed or what have you. That information that a technician gives to a client like that is golden. Conversely, if you're a client listening, what the technician is telling you, if they're worth their weight in anything other than, you know, food stamps, is absolutely paramount. If you trust your technician, you trust what they're doing. Get to know them. Buy them coffee. Talk to them. Figure it out. Like, like you know, get in their head. They want that partnership in most cases. They want you to be happy. They want to provide that data. You should want to hear it. And even if it's not your job, even if you only have to work on this system, you know, 20% of the time, 80% of the time you're stuck in meetings or, or I don't know, wishing you did something different, it is still your job. It's still what you do. In each one of these systems, whether it's access control, camera, security, fire, whatever it is, you're, whatever, whatever you're doing, building automation, they are not going to get less complicated as the years go on. And as these building systems begin to become more automated and think on their own, when they fail, they fail harder. Okay, if I have, if I have something that's running semi-autonomously and it goes bat crap crazy, it can take out half of a building or, you know, good sized chunks of it. Where before it was like, yeah, I had a couple of devices or a card that went bad and I was able to, to fix that problem. If you have the wrong software loaded or the wrong firmware revision or what have you, it can really affect, it can affect a whole, you know, a, a big swath of, of whatever it is you're doing, whether it's life safety or security. Given the wrong conditions, that can go that can go backwards that that can go that can go bad on you real quick so from the client's perspective looking at the technician gleaning anything you can get out of that technician working with them getting to know them not being a jerk not treating them like they're terrible people um, anything you can to help them accomplish their goals access keys badging uh, parking spots, stuff like that, anything that you can help move the agenda forward for the technician is, is going to pay off. It's just going to pay off. So I've been teaching my apprentices, my students, uh, almost everybody I talk to that customer service is the, is the biggest piece of being a technician. You can fix stuff. If you can fix stuff, that, that makes you a valuable person. But if you can fix the client, that makes you a super valuable person. So having personal skills, personal people skills, and, and knowing exactly, <laughs> exactly what, you, what this technician needs when he walks to the door or what the client uh, needs when you show up as a technician, knowing those things and being on the same page will help both sides of this fence. Now, back in the sales and integrators and engineers place, there are groups of people that handle, for example, projects, project coordinators and project managers, 
who also need to go back and talk to the sales staff and talk to the engineers to make sure that what they're putting in is actually compatible. And it's not going to be some, some, you know, pile of dung when you're finished. All of this, all of these steps that I'm talking about have been hammered out by every company I've ever worked with. And each one has its own procedure. And boy, I'd like to tell you that it's, you know, you can go to JCI and it'll be this way. And then you can go to Western States and it'll be that way. And then you could go to, to Convergent and it'll be that way. And you could go down the street to, um, you know, uh, Reese and it'll be that way. That's just not the case. Each and every company has its own internal way of operating. So you're a technician decide to go work for this company. If you don't know that procedure and how it works or, and trust me, this has happened as well. There is no procedure. It, there is no, there there. There's, it just doesn't exist. Hey, there's an opportunity for you to help make that happen. So I have, worked for companies and, and I've known a lot of technicians that have had to do this themselves where they'll just, I mean, we all have Microsoft Word on our computers, make a form, make an email, take that extra step to move the ball the correct direction internally to your company to help, hey, you know, I was out here, I saw this, I wrote all this stuff up and I, I'm sending it your direction Hopefully it'll, it'll make some sense to you. If not, give me a call. But you know, I was out here at this place and I saw this information. So I just captured it and I want to send it to you. Hey, we've got a whole procedure for that. Good. Turn me on to that. What is that procedure? How can I figure this out? What are my next steps? Because being a technician or being an electrician or being a client means that you need to know everything you possibly can about your equipment to a certain point and how things run internally on both sides of the fence because there are there are two sides to the fence especially in contracting there's two sides of that fence so you show up a company and you don't know those procedures or they don't exist then either make them happen like you can do that you you don't have to wait for some you don't have to wait for your manager to come up with a, a freaking form, you can do it. This could be you. And I'm not saying to do it just so that you can pat yourself on the back or all the other technicians can, you know, throw confetti at you when you walk through the damn door. I'm saying do it because it's practically the right thing to do. Right? If you're an integrator, if you're an engineer, if you're a salesperson, it is imperative that what's going on with the technicians and what's going on with the project managers and coordinators be communicated and that and that the 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 divisions or the or the the divides i should say or the barriers that often come up because it's easy to look at sales and go well they're just a bunch of a bunch of greedy bastards they don't care they don't really care about what's going on no it's not the truth at all these people are 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 eating based upon how well they do their work. If they've been selling for years and years and years, they must know something. And you may not like them or you may not like the fact that, that they make more money than you. At any point in time, you can hang up your tool bag and give it a shot. If sales is super easy, give it a shot. If you think it's easy, give it a shot. See if it is. 
See if that's the if that's the cup of tea for you. I guarantee you that people who are salespeople and were former technicians uh, would give you uh, some good you know good good insight on whether it was worth doing that or not. And maybe the personalities, you know, said, "Hey, look, you'd be a great, you'd be a great salesperson. You've got, you know, all the, the silver silver tongue skills we need. Then off you go, go do that. But if you do go be a salesperson and you were a technician, well, then you know damn good and well what I'm talking about. You absolutely know how critical this is. You know this is critical. So there's no excuse." If you've spent all these times, all these years as a, as a technician, and now you're a salesperson, you should look back and know exactly where the technicians are at as they're coming through the ranks and what they need and what your clients need and how to integrate that and who to use to integrate that and make sure that, that everything is getting updated and everything is getting upgraded and, and, and you're doing your best to at least push that agenda out. So... Is it going to get you more money? It doesn't matter. But I've also worked for companies where the agenda is sell, 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 and we don't have time to go back and talk to clients. We don't have time to go back and figure that out. But I've worked for them. I've been in, in companies where where the, the goal of servicing the client was put on a back burner over the goal of making sure that you had X amount of contracts coming through the door or, or what have you. I don't agree with that philosophy. I just, I never have. Uh, I didn't agree with a lot of philosophies and a lot of companies I worked with and told them so, which is why I don't work there anymore. But it doesn't mean that as a salesperson who's listening to this, you can't integrate some of those ideas into your head. Or if you decide, you know what, I can't take this anymore, go find a company that does allow you to do that. Because I personally know salespeople, really good salespeople, who have done very well in this industry, and they still service their clients. That's the most critical thing to them. It's the most critical thing to them. Even though they've got directions not to, they still do. <laughs> and I, I, can think of, I can think of six right now off the top of my head that do exactly that. So... The other thing is the integrators, and the integrators and the engineers are only going to be tasked with what's in front of them. I, I don't expect an integrator or engineer to just go to work on a Monday and go, gosh, you know, I haven't thought about OHSU. I should probably see what it's going to take to integrate the next system there. That's not how it works for them. But when a new system goes in and they're a part of the of the engineering or the design or how it's going to go, then they absolutely need to look at all of the of the critical pieces and see if stuff is all backwards compatible. So we found out today that some of the equipment we have is not compatible. Now I'm finding out about this today. My other crack technician from the company, he's finding about this today. Well, who should have known? How, how could we have prevented this from occurring? I mean, we'll figure it out. There's always a workaround. There's always a way to, to do it. And we figured out workarounds and we did figure out a way to handle it. But when you're dealing with something like life safety, workarounds aren't the answer. Okay. <laughs> you, I don't wake up in the morning going, hmm, I wonder how I can patch this together. That's not the way we think. And it's, the, it's not the way any company wants to think. It's not the way any of us want to do business. We want to make sure it's legit. We want to make sure it's to code. We want to make sure that it's th that the listing stays good. 
we want to make sure that we're covering all of our bases. So I can't just look at the at the integrators or the engineers and go, well, you should have known. How would they know? Did I provide them the information? Did anybody ask me? Did, did I miss something? Did somebody somewhere miss something? Yes. I'll just stop it right there. Somebody somewhere missed something. Well, I won't miss it again if it falls onto my shoulders. And I'll make sure that, that the folks who are helping us at the company I work with, they don't miss it again. And I'll make sure that my managers that are doling out the dollars don't miss it again. I don't expect them to know. I expect them to rely on the technicians and the engineers and the sales staff to go, man, we could be heading into a problem. And then sometimes nobody knows. Sometimes it just happens. It just gets missed. When I forensically look at what I'm dealing with right now, the information that would have told us this was a problem came out five years ago. So I wasn't an employee then five years ago. The guy who's doing most of the tech work probably either just started up there or was just getting familiar with it. And even the other technician probably wouldn't have known that this problem would exist. You know why? Because it was five years ago and the new technology hadn't even been put in the field yet. So they had just talked about this being an issue. There could be a hundred more tech bulletins out there for the next 10 issues that we do not know about. And this could be happening to you as I speak on whatever system you're working on. So if you are a technician on system XYZ, it behooves you to know all of the technical details that are coming down the line and to know as much about the system as you possibly can. If you don't, then at least somebody in the company will. And there's always some repository of, of expert information that you can go to and go, you know, do you, have you ever seen these things go together? Oh, yeah, I have. And then, then this becomes a problem. Those other subject matter experts, we used to call them, you know, old, old technicians, old guys, these guys who've been around a long time that have seen all this stuff, you know, go sideways before. They are a resource that I would hope others could draw on. But like every other group of people, you get personalities, you get walls that get built up, you get attitudes, you get you know, lack of training on, I got this, but this guy got that and this girl got that and I don't want to talk to them and all that stuff. At some point in time, when you lay it all on the table, the end result is you need to step back, look at a thousand foot view of what's going on and go, okay, we had this problem. This is how we solved it. I don't ever want to see this problem happen again. So fix that communications issue or that problem and then look for the next one forecast what could be coming at you and you can do that from both sides if i'm doing it from my side as an end user of the product and my technician's doing it from him size from his side as the technician on the product and the salesperson's doing it from their side as the person who's forecasting what we want to put in and my managers you know relying on this whole group of people 
to make sure that we're moving forward and the engineers I'm working with so I can see them going forward. If I have a, if I have a team built up that helps me see what to do in the future and we're on that, then I can prevent the next, oh snap, what are we going to do to make this thing function correctly today? Now, I'm obviously talking around an issue and you can hear it. So I'm hoping that you're able to, to piece together what I have said verbally into a picture in your mind that it doesn't really matter what the product is and it doesn't really matter the, the exact machines or, or computers or whatever I'm talking about. The whole thing, every bit of the technology that we're dealing with is going to be the same way. It's going to be the same exact way. There's always going to be information needed, information that needs to be passed, information that needs to be stored, and a way of getting it, and a way of, of, of broadcasting it so everybody who needs to know that information has access to it. The more barriers that pop up, the more walls you have to work around, the more... The more um, personalized information where I'm going to keep this close to my chest and I'm not going to share it because I know that information. But if I let this person know that information, well, then I may not be as valued to my company. And anybody who's ever worked with me and knows me knows that I don't buy that. I, I absolutely unequivocally think that that is a bat squeeze. I'll tell you on this podcast, the same exact thing I tell my students if you are not crushing me in what you do in five years, I have failed. And that applies to you, journey person. If your apprentices are not crushing it when they get done with this apprenticeship or, or your junior technicians are not moving up in the ranks and crushing it, you have done them a disservice. You have done them a disservice. These folks that are coming up in the ranks need to know every bit of data in your head for them to take all of the experience that you've had and move forward with it because you may not be at that company tomorrow. You may not be alive tomorrow. You have no idea what's going on, but the equipment that hangs on the wall, it will be there. The customer at services, the people's lives it protects, they will be there. So to hold on to that information and to not share it is, I can't say it's criminal because it's not, but it's stupid. Okay. Now, I wish I could tell you I came up with this on my own. I didn't. I was taught this in the Navy. It was pounded in me in the Navy. It was pounded in me. We absolutely knew if we were asleep and you were on watch, if you didn't know what you were doing, you could kill us. <laughs> Flat out, we could not be here. And it didn't matter what the heck you were operating. If it was boilers, if it was, you know, missile systems, it didn't matter. If your job was to operate that equipment and I poorly trained you, shame on me. Then that's on me. So they made it a point in the military, at least in the Navy, to make sure that we always trained our technicians on everything we knew and then some. And I expected the technicians who are coming out of school 
and have and are just starting, I can't look at a technician who's new and say, you don't know anything, you're an idiot, let me teach it all to you, because that's not true. They have life experiences and bits of information that I don't have. They could come out with something that I don't know. And if I look at the technician and go, well, you're new and you don't know anything and I'm gonna have to teach you everything, blah, blah, blah. If I come at it from that attitude, who wants to learn from that? So if I come at it from, hey, what did you learn in A school? Show me. Or what did you learn when you went to, to you know, whatever school, this access control school? And if you've already heard the information, fine. It doesn't mean you want to denigrate him or make him feel bad. Say, wow, I, did, I didn't know that. Or that's really, that's really cool. They, they see they're still teaching that. Give them positive reinforcement so that you open up those channels of communication. And I'll be quite honest with you. I have opened and closed several lines of communication with lots of people. And I would love to tell you here that, oh, yeah, 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 I've gotten along with everybody. No, that's hog's not. I've had plenty of people I hate and I don't want to talk to and I don't want to deal with. Well, shame on me. Okay? Shame on me. I couldn't I couldn't be a man enough to figure it out. And so I just threw the wall up and said, hell with it. I'm going to stay on my side of the wall. Now I can look back in, in my advanced years and go, you know what? I made a critical error in judgment here. There was a better way I could have handled it. So it would behoove me to tell you especially if you're just getting in this trade or you're, or you're younger than I am, that you may not want to approach life that way. So as a guy who's just about 60, you probably, I would, I would please ask you to take some advice from me and try not sticking your finger in the eye of everybody you don't get along with and trying to figure out another way. There's got to be a better way. And when it comes to, to being a technician or being an electrician or working on systems, I always try to keep an open mind, and especially now after my experiences in and out of management and, and in and out of several different companies and working on as many different systems as I have, I don't want to, to I don't want to be that person anymore. I want to try to be as open and as positive uh, in, in, in this particular arena as I, as I can. Now, saying all that, my point with this whole podcast is we are working on super complex stuff. And gosh, I wish I could tell you it's getting simpler. It's not. Some of it, the operations of it and how it does what it does is getting simpler. For example, the fact that, that in, a, in any given building, the building automation systems are handling more and more stuff than I've ever seen them handle. The fact that we are now dealing with buildings and dealing with with uh, an entire block of a building and all of its pieces and components and not just subcomponents. It's not like we're just out looking at the fire alarm system or we're just out looking at access control or we're just out looking at doors and stuff like that. We're kind of looking at the whole thing as a unit to see how it's going to function in an emergency. And we're looking at it all in, in every way you can imagine. And this has been something that I know the state of Washington pushed for and got it. And the state of Oregon is now pushing for and they're getting it. They don't want to go, hey, 
Yes, you have a great fire system installed and we've checked it out. They want to say, yeah, you got a great fire system installed. It does what it's supposed to do. Oh, by the way, are your doors closing? Oh, if the doors are closing, do they have the right seals on them so that we're not pushing smoke into the next smoke zone? Are the fire smoke dampers working correctly? Have they been exercised? Do you Can you tell that the air is moving in the correct direction? Are the fire dampers working? Are the fans changing direction of how the air is supposed to go? Where's the smoke product? What's happening here? Are all your portable fire extinguishers in the right places? Are your backflow devices all being done? Everything from stem to stern on a building is now pretty much figured out and it's looked at and, and I'm obviously I've picked out some things there that may not be exactly life safety, but they're all out there. They're all these systems are being looked at as how do they integrate and work together in each new building that I'm going into the automation, the way these systems are functioning, the way the engineers are talking to each other. Now is the HVAC system working with the fire systems working with this is working with that's working the access control. Is it opening up the doors for egress, all that good stuff. We're all starting to work together as a team that can only be helpful. <laughs> okay. I sure wish I could see a downside to that, but I don't. Uh, and I, when I teach about the life cycle of a building to my students, I say, you know, if we start off with a hole in the ground and a permit that says we're going to put a building here, there's all this forethought that goes into that building. The, the subsystems that are going to go in there, sewer, water, gas, uh, you know, did, did are the neighbors going to get upset when we build the thing? So we, we begin to build this building. And when the thing is built, there should be all this documentation for the building that stays with the building. It stays with the owner of the building or the, or the whoever group, whatever group is managing it. So if you build a 10 story building, there should be an entire set of documents and permits and drawings in everything that talks about every component in that building, everything. And when a building's commissioned and the, and the commissioning process checks out where all these contractual obligations met, does this, does the system do what it's supposed to do? Does it, you know, do the toilets flush correctly? Does the, are the walls put together correctly? Does the roof leak? All that stuff. When everything's all checked out and turned over to the building owner, here comes all this slew of documentation and permits. Now, if you come in and modify the second floor and change things around, then also the documentation piece also must be changed. Permits have to be pulled. Oh, we have one room where we used to have seven. So we had all this equipment in here. We had to take it out and modify it. If it required a permit, then that needs to be documented and put into the records. So if you go into this 10 story building 10 years down the road, it shouldn't be a mystery to any discipline that walks through the door. And I'm going to say that again. If you walk into a building, especially a high rise, it should not be a mystery as to what's going on there. If you go to whatever system, there should be a book or drawings or permits or something to tell you how this thing operates and what it does. 
there's a smoke control panel. There should be some way to operate it. There should be some sort of, of operating manual. If you're still going into buildings that are relatively new and that documentation is not there, you need to find it. You need to get a hold of it. The engineer should have it. Somebody has it. And I know of companies that have tossed it out, like this management company changed it out to this other management company. So to be, you know, a brat, they threw it all in the trash. I, I, I know of a company that did that and it's, it's shameful. But in all reality, if everybody's playing well, from the, from the time a building is built until we take the wrecking ball to it and smash it into bits and start again, there's an entire life cycle to this. And documentation is a part of that life cycle. Each change that required a permit, which most changes do, that should all be somewhere. That should be a, basically a set of living documents. And I've told my students that if you go into a building and it's brand new, there'll be a cut sheet for everything in that building from the types, the lights, the tile, the cove molding, the doors, they, you name it. There's gonna be a cut sheet that told the story of what was chosen, why. All that should be documented and, and put somewhere. All the way to the bitter end. When you get to the bitter end and you're going to take the wrecking ball to it, then there's even documents that close it all out. You can't expect the city or the county to carry all that, that information. It's, it's explicitly the owner of the building who carries that information. You're a part of that. Every trade that listens to this, everybody who goes in and works on these systems, that's a part of what you do. So here again, documenting, working with everybody to figure out the next steps, communication, and how information is passed and the relationships that you build with each of the different groups that you have to work with is paramount. It is all about communicating. If you're a good communicator and you're thinking about the next steps, then you will probably do well in whatever business you go into. It doesn't matter if it's the building trades or if it's, you know, selling shoes, who the hell knows. But I will tell you that in the building trades and in the fields that we're in, that, that this particular podcast is designed to hit, those basic things I talked about, how systems go in, who knows about them, what the, where the technology fixes are, and, and interfacing with people and communicating and keeping those lines of communication open are the critical things. And I certainly wish that I had known that at 35 and not at 59. So that's what this is for is to say, hey, technician, hey, salesperson, <clears throat> hey, integrator, hey, manager, hey, owner of a building, let's all try to figure out how to do this correctly because we've written books and 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 books on how to do it. But I don't know that everybody's reading the same book. I don't know that everybody's on the same page. So minimally, try to get on that page. Try to figure out the next steps for yourself. Sound good? And that's what I got to say today.
Thanks for listening to the Half Watt Podcast. We always want to hear from you, and we encourage you to email us at halfwattpod at gmail.com with questions or even your own stories. Funny, crazy, or praiseworthy, we want to hear it all. You can follow us on Instagram at halfwattpod to stay up to date on our feed. Be sure to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. And share us with a friend, the best way to help us grow. The Half Watt Podcast is a production of Now Hear This Studios.